welcome to All Right in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor, Detroit region. Your podcasters today are Irene Moore Davis, author, educator, and local historian, Kim Conklin, Windsor based writer and filmmaker, and me, Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair. To kick things off, we'd like to talk a little bit about how All Right in Sin City came to be and why we're interested in doing this podcast. First, we chose the name All Right in Sin City because Sin City is one of the historic nicknames for the Windsor, Detroit region, which is over 300 years old. And also, we kind of liked the Vegas vibe and felt that it helped explain why there are so many great stories and storytellers in this region. But we each bring some personal reasons and interest to the podcast, too. Sarah, let's start with you. What brought you to the podcast? Well, for me, it was working with um, BookFest Windsor and getting to know everybody who also worked on BookFest Windsor. But the, the beauty of the literary festival here in Windsor is that it's a very intimate conversation with authors and audience and friends. And I love that idea of this ongoing conversation. And when Kim came up with the idea for a podcast, I thought it was a great way to expand the conversation and to um, celebrate these great stories that come out of this region. It was Carl Jurgens, I think, who said, um, you know, we punch above our weight here in the Windsor-Essex region and the Windsor-Detroit region. So uh, it's, it's time to share our stories with as many people as we can. And what I really love about this region, Detroit, Windsor, Windsor, Detroit, is just the diversity of the communities that exist here. There are so many forms of storytelling at which we're really excellent here. We have such amazing ethnocultural diversity, all kinds of wonderful diversity in terms of, of the different um, kinds of storytellers, whether it's working class stories, the, the literary stuff, all kinds of genres that people are exploring and it's just exciting to bring all of that to light and celebrate what we do so well here. Um, and I'm sort of a binational person. I'm a dual citizen, and I've lived and worked on both sides of the border pretty much 50-50 during my life. And one of the ideas that draws me to the podcast is something Carolyn Smarts Frost talks about, the idea of the borderlands theory. Carolyn is the author of I've Got a Home in Glory Land, a book based on the Blackburn Riot of 1833, Detroit's first racial uprising. She's also one of the authors of several other local books that deal with local history, including, including A Fluid Frontier with our own Irene Moore Davis. But the borderlands theory is the idea that people on either side of an international border have more in common with each other than they do with the people that live further inland. And I think that's really an interesting idea to explore here through the lens of regional writers and writing. And what we have in common on both sides of the border is also um, the different ways that we look at the situation in our own lives here. It's a truly unique region. On today's podcast, we have a previously recorded interview with New York Times best-selling author Ellie Blake about her fantasy fiction trilogy that began with Frostblood. Ellie is from the greater Windsor area, and one of the things we got to talking about with her is that Windsor is such a small world where everybody knows your name. And I know from sitting on committees, it's, it's very hard not to have a conflict of interest if you're on grant juries or anything like that. But Ellie has a slightly different experience. 
Here's what she and Irene had to say about it. So I'm actually just starting recently to connect with more local authors here in this area. I, I live in Harrow, so I'm not quite in Windsor, and somehow I didn't find a lot of my local connections until more recently. Actually, um, BookFest Windsor helped me to meet some people. So I've just started writing with some local authors, um, not co-writing, but just, you know, sharing space, which is good for accountability. And I met Brittany, which was wonderful, and uh, a few other authors. So I'm just sort of um, realizing that I, I, there's always connections, right? You know more people than you think you do, and you find out about more authors uh, locally than you knew there were. So that's where I am right now. That's great, right? Well, for good or for ill, everybody knows everybody's business in this town. <laughs> and I guess what I what I mean by that is, um, you know, it's rife with scandal and all of that juicy stuff, which is good for writing at all times. But also, there are these wonderful mentors around, and we get to sort of observe what everybody's doing and learn from each other all the time. There are lots of opportunities for the local literary community to work together and collaborate, and everybody gets to know everybody and that is just a wonderful petri dish for all kinds of great experimental stuff to happen. It's kind of like Andy Warhol's studio, but spread out a little bit over the county. And, that. and I'm thrilled to hear that BookFest did what it's supposed to do and provide networking for local authors. So that's great to hear. That's super. Okay. Thank you very much. So, and we're welcoming again Ellie Blake here, um, and Ellie is an Essex County author, and uh, she has achieved great success with the New York Times bestselling uh, titles trilogy you've got coming, and uh, the third one just came out last year, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So, how did you, let, tell us a little bit about your genre and how you chose it. Um, I started reading young adult fantasy probably in my 30s because when I was a teen um, it wasn't really called that it did exist somewhat like I was reading Robin McKinley um, but and there was you know Anne McCaffrey and there were definitely names but it wasn't I don't remember it being referred to as young adult then and it wasn't as big of a wave as as it became and so um, I worked at the local library for many years, the Essex County Library. And of course, you have to keep abreast of all the trends. And so I started reading Young Adult Fantasy and just found that I loved it. Um, and so when I started writing more seriously, I started out trying to write romance because I do love reading romance. But, you know, it's actually really hard to write if if you don't have the voice for it. And apparently I didn't. So I tried Young Adult. <laughs> I really just, I didn't feel I did. So I tried... Um, young adult sci-fi and then that market got a little bit softer when um you know just market trends in in young adult right when I had an idea for a young adult fantasy and I wrote a, several books I should say it's not like I just wrote two things and then got published I'd written a whole bunch of things but um the one I got really serious about was the one that ended up being published in 2017 so but it took a few years yeah and I I just found I had a voice for young adult Long process. Wow. So you're one of the few local authors who has an agent. How did that come about? So my story is a little bit unusual because normally people get literary agents through querying, which is you research literary agents, you see who represents the genre that you're writing, and then you send something called a query, which is an email with basically the equivalent of the back cover blurb on a book about your book, kind of a teaser. 
as well as maybe a line or two of bio about you if there's relevant things in your experience to do with writing. And then you hope that they request. Um, I was too scared to query because I did not feel I was ready. So I entered a lot of contests, and I mean a lot of contests, um, in 2012 to 2014. And in 2014, I got into a contest called Pitch Wars, and that went on to an agent round where agents get to see your um, your first 350 words, and my agent requested. So that's how I got an agent is through a contest. Yeah. That is fantastic. <laughs> it was, it, yes. So it's not a straight line in any way to find your genre or to find your agent. You you just kept trying and, and doing little end runs. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was unusual. Not a ton of people get an agent through a contest, but that was my story. <laughs> That's great. Um, do you start with a character, just one character in your world, or, or do you create the world and then build the characters? I start with a scene, or um, usually a scene or two in my mind, with, and I can feel the emotion of it. Um, and from that come the characters, and from that come the, comes the world. So um, some people start from the world first, which seems like a great way to start to me. I kind of wish I was built like that, but I start with the characters and then have to figure out all the world stuff after. And just in going back to your process, did you have the, all that in place by the time that you did connect with your agent? And did you get any guidance along those lines? Um, I had The book was written by the time I got an agent, and I had, had guidance from my Pitch Wars mentor, which is, it's... Uh, should have explained the contest is about mentoring someone. So a more experienced author takes on a mentee, which was me in 2014, who um, revises their manuscript according to notes. And so my mentor did that for me and helped me improve my manuscript before it was seen by an agent. So she gave me a better chance of being signed by an agent. So this was like the voice, but with less singing. Yeah. Just slightly less it's singing. like that. Yeah. That's and not, not as cool chairs. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's all on Twitter and on blogs, so it's not quite as, you know, visually interesting, but <laughs> it's very similar. It certainly takes a lot of background work as well um, behind everything. So in the meantime, you're, you're building your family as well as working through your, your career. And... Right, I was working at the library. Um, my husband actually went back to school in 2009 um, after the, you know, local economic downturn in 2008, which I'm sure everyone remembers, which was a wonderful opportunity for him to go back to school. But there was a time when I was working three part-time jobs. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's when I started writing as well. And I have three kids. So, it, yeah, it was very busy. You look remarkably upright considering <laughs> all of that. Thank you. <laughs> So in science fiction, a lot of times, not always, authors begin with kind of a big idea. We're wondering how you balance ideas with storytelling as you write. That's really interesting. Um, my question for myself always, if I have an idea, is how much I can expand it and if there's enough there to make it into a book. Because um, you can have lots of ideas, but do you have enough to build scenes and to see you know, the setting and to have a character arc and, you know, a villain or whatever and pressures on the character and all that stuff. And it builds slowly over time, but the idea is just the beginning and uh, it takes time to see whether the ideas pan out. 
sometimes just, you know, taking notes, brainstorming with friends, and then figuring it out over time. I don't know right away if it's a good idea or not. Are you going to continue with the world that you've been building and with your three novels, or are you going to try something different next? Or are you trying something different next? I'm onto something new. I'm at the point where I'm figuring out my world, and I am writing the first draft as I'm still figuring out the world <laughs> and the um, the conflict. So it's a really messy process for me, unfortunately, where I'm not a plotter. I don't outline everything ahead of time because I don't know the characters well enough to know what is going to happen and a lot of stuff just comes out unconsciously when I write so it means a lot of revising but I am working on something new and trying to figure it out in a, in kind of a similar world but not the same world hmm. what do you like writing best the medieval fantasy parts of the stories or the romance the romance yeah why <laughs> um I don't know. I just think it's exciting, like that the interactions between characters. Um, there can be conflict, um, you know, banter. Banter is so fun. Um, romance isn't, you know, just about everyone getting along. It is. It is about conflict, and it is about figuring out how to overcome differences. But there's chemistry too, right? And so chemistry can really carry carry things, um, carry you through a story. You know, if you're so inclined as a reader, and I am, so I also enjoy that as a writer too. It's fun. That's cool. And you've mentioned in the past that many of your books in your genre uh, all draw from the same sources of inspiration. Um, what are some of those sources, and which ones do you really, uh, will you particularly enjoy working on? So, which, what do I draw inspiration from in mm -hmm. particular? Um, I love fairy tales, so. I think not consciously necessarily. I'm not basing anything directly on fairy tales, but I think having read a lot of them as a child, as a teen, and some as an adult, um, that kind of sinks in. Fairy tales tend to be somewhat universal stories, so the main character is a bit of an everyman sometimes. Like, you can see yourself in that character, hopefully, so I try to do that. Um, mythology... I don't know. I think sometimes I don't even necessarily remember where I'm borrowing from or, or know if it's all completely original. Like I, I'll write something and then a few months later I'll read a book and I'll think, oh, that element is kind of similar. And it almost looks like I took that. And yet then I realize, oh, yeah, and I can think of 10 other books where that element existed. It's just that it, it's different in each book. It's like, you know, the concept of light versus dark, for instance, like like good versus evil, like in Harry Potter, say, for instance, it's there, but it's there in, you know, thousands of other things as well. I mean, it's just how it's handled. Wonderful. You've achieved a lot already with your books. It's a really commendable record. And uh, good for you representing Team Essex County. <laughs> Thank you. What do you still dream of doing with your writing that you have not yet done? Um, so I still... I'm figuring out my process, as I think I, I mentioned with being having a messy like writing process. So I would love to become a little bit more efficient <laughs> at it. And so that's my personal goal for myself. Um, and also to enjoy it and not to maybe put so much pressure on myself when I'm writing so that it kind of I, I allow it to be what it is. Um, professionally, uh, you know, that that kind of links in because I want to put out, you know, at least a book a year would be nice. And, um, and of course, it would be really cool to see my characters on a screen. 
at some point. A book a year sounds like a tall order. How are you yeah, my, doing your writing now? How much time do you have for writing now? The trilogy was supposed to come out. Each book was supposed to come out nine months apart, actually. Seriously? Ooh. And I didn't make it. <laughs> it took me about 13 months total um, for each book. That's a horrible deadline. It was a great idea because it the idea is to get momentum for the series and that it you know, for readers, they love, they would love to get it quickly like that. You, you know, you don't even really have time to forget the plot of the previous one is sometimes that's hard if there's a few years between the book and then you're trying to remember. So it was a lovely idea. And my agent and I both loved the idea, but I just found out that with revisions, with my really messy process, I could not make that. So I think it's like a year's more realistic for me. That's amazing. Yeah. And when you're talking about going, you know, having your books on screen and everything, are you going to um, fantasy, YA fantasy writers conventions or are you going to any, I don't know, fantasy cons or, or anything like that to to further mingle with people and network? Um, I can't think of a lot of YA fantasy cons in particular. There is one called Leviosa that's fairly new. I think there's just been one so far. It's that is name. a Yeah, a Harry Potter fandom slash young adult literature con and I do believe it's happening again this year I did attend the first one a couple of years ago um, I do attend the Romance Writers of America conference almost every year which is you know just general learning and craft things that can apply to any genre um, and I've been to a few comic cons so those are fun but not enough I'd like to go to more of those so yeah Okay, Ellie, Blake, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and your insights with us here at All Right, and uh, all the best with uh, your writing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Best-selling author Ellie Blake was recently involved in a wonderful reading at Biblioasis and shared with the audience um, part of a great book called Frostblood. Ellie, can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, sure. So the reading is from chapter two of Frostblood, and actually it was the original opening uh, when I first wrote the book, um, but my agent had me add a little bit before that opening because she felt it, it was important to set it up, to set up the world. So it's a world where the, the kingdom is ruled by people who have the power over um, ice and cold, and those are called Frostbloods. And the main character, Ruby, is a fireblood who have power over heat and flame, and she has found herself in prison with a choice to make. Ice cracked like the breaking of bones. I woke with a jerk, heart racing. A dark shape, something strange and inhuman, had been hovering over me in my dream, touching my cheek in a blistering caress. I blinked, and the prison came into focus. Frost swept the prison in a white wave, crusting over stone walls and insinu insinuating itself into every crack and keyhole. It spilled across the floor and hardened into glittering sheets that stopped inches away, leaving me on an island of bare stone. Booted feet scraped to a halt outside my cell. I stifled a groan. Not again. No more guards tonight. But guards didn't smell of oiled leather and soap. My eyes flicked up to a tall hooded figure hulking outside my cell, a torch held in his right hand. My spine tightened and fine hairs rose on my neck. Another hooded shape joined the first. This figure was smaller and leaned on a walking stick that he tapped with each step. A short white beard flowed over the collar of his robe. So you think this is the one? 
He spoke quietly, his refined accent jarringly out of place in this pit of low-born murderers and thieves. Look, said the taller figure, his voice deeper and more vigorous. See how the ice refuses to touch her? He sucked in a breath and blew it out with force. The water in the air turned to ice and fell over me in tiny pellets that steamed back into vapor as they met my skin. I bit off a moan, my eyes wide with terror. So these were frostbloods who had a power in complete opposition to my own. I struggled to keep my breathing even, to hide my panic. You see? His voice was low but exultant. Sit up, little one, the shorter figure said, tapping the bars with his stick as if knocking at my door. We wish to speak with you. I remained still, willing them to move on and leave me in peace. I hadn't felt so frightened since the day the soldiers came to my village. The guards did not have the gift, and they still managed to make my life a misery. But at least they were afraid of me. What could a frostbutt do to me? Do as he says, says the man who stood tall and broad and imposing on the other side of the bars. Sit up or I'll find a bucket of water and then we'll see how you shiver. <laughs> Defiance heated my skin. I unwound my arms and sat up. The old man stepped closer. How old are you? I frowned, searching my mind for the answer. Days blurred into months which could bleed into years in the king's prison. He seemed to understand my uncertainty. It has been two weeks since the vernal equinox. A dull ache spread through my chest. I'd lost nearly half a year then. Seventeen. You burned the king's soldiers, some of them badly, he said, though with the help of skilled healers they survived. A real pity, I replied, my voice as cold as the ice-coated floor. He chuckled and looked to his companion. It's curious that her hair is black. The truly gifted often have fiery hair. He reached through the bars toward me. Show us your wrist. I brought my hands to my chest. Why? We only wish to see. His voice was soft, gentle. Without thinking, I lifted my arm, the tattered sleeve falling open to reveal my thin wrist. He took a torch from his companion and held it close to the bars, the light falling on the thick vein that pulsed like a fat red worm under my skin. See how it shines so red, he marveled. As I pulled my arm away, he pushed back his own sleeve to show me the vein in his wrist, cold blue instead of crimson. We wish no harm. We are here to make an offer. If you complete the task we require, we will give you your freedom. My heart fluttered in my throat. The word freedom rang in my head like the pure, clear note of a temple bell. The very thought of it was a painful temptation. To feel fresh air in my lungs, the kiss of sunshine on my skin, the play of wind in my hair, I trembled, torn between longing and terror. There are worse things than dying slowly in a cell. The two figures loomed still and silent in the flickering light, frost crackling under their feet. Their breath fogged the air with a cold mist. What is the task? I asked. The old man looked around and shook his head. It is something you will only be too eager to help us with. Why would I help a frostblood with anything except to die? His weathered hands rose and pulled the hood off to reveal a lined face with skin darker than my own, long and lean with noble bones. His eyes, so light blue they were almost white, burned into me. His lips held a hint of a smile. Frost and fire were friends once. Not in my lifetime. <clears throat> Excuse me. He looked to his companion and back to me, his expression intent. Then perhaps this will interest you. Our target is the throne itself. I pressed my hands to the cold stone floor to steady myself. It was what I longed for, the only thing I wanted since the day the soldiers had taken everything from me. To kill the king who had ordered that raid. My mother, if not for him, my mother would still be alive. I met the pale gaze, my head spinning. They wanted me to kill the king for them, but at what cost? You expect me to trust you? We are here, offering you a way out. If we are discovered, we will be hanged. If you're lucky, he nodded. And if I refuse? The taller man blew out a breath. Then you can rot in here until you're nothing but a pile of bones held together by chains. My lip curled. One shout and the two of you will rot in here with me. 
A charming offer, said the broad-shouldered figure. I can't imagine why no one has come for you sooner. A muffled laugh from the old man. Enough, Arcus. Do you agree to our terms, girl? I considered my options. From what I had heard from the other prisoners, most of the firebloods in the kingdom had been killed or driven away. Some were probably rotting in prisons as I was, but sooner or later, the executioner would come. I could likely escape from these men with greater ease than I could escape from the king's prison. I set my jaw and nodded. A few years ago, I worked with Roger Werdeman at Juniper Books to create a twice-yearly list of recommended reads by local authors for a Toronto Star online pilot project. This list became a popular feature on the site, so we've decided to revive it here for All Right in Sin City. So, without much ado, here's Irene Moore Davis reading the Juniper Books Recommended Local Reads for Spring 2019. So in no particular order, we have The Patch Project by Brittany Brin. That is a post-apocalyptic novel about survival, identity, and memory. It's the first in a series. Very interesting. We've got Blacker Against the Deep Dark by Alex Zeleny. It's a short story collection, speculative fiction, and it's Alex's fourth collection. Tour of the Houses That Fur Built in Essex is by a local historian that many of us know named Chris Carter. It's a look at some of the characters and places important in the development of the early Essex County economy. The Mind Labyrinth, My Struggle with Schizophrenia by Diane Berkeley Frenette. It's a very riveting memoir of her personal struggle with this mysterious disease. Parallels of Life, The Game of Hockey by Greg Crane. It's a memoir of a life immersed in local hockey. Dream Relationship by my former colleague John Sullivan. A therapist in Windsor for over 27 years, John has developed a simple yet proven approach to helping couples succeed. What Are You Here to Heal? A Deeper Conversation by Catherine Bridge. Sounds very intriguing. It's a unique approach to self-improvement. There's also a companion book that's available called What Are You Here to Heal? A Self-Reflective Guide. A personal favorite of mine, Patrick Brode's Dying for a Drink, How a Prohibition Preacher Got Away with Murder. Patrick Brode is an incredible lawyer as well as past president of the Essex County Historical Society, and he has written a meticulously researched local history book which sheds much new light on an infamous local prohibition episode. Sin City indeed. Steering Through It, Navigating Life-Threatening Illness Acceptance, Survival, and Healing by Lynn McLaughlin. It's a brave journal about dealing with a very difficult medical diagnosis. And rounding out the list, Guillaume Teasdale from the University of Windsor has written a new book called Fruits of Perseverance, The French Presence in the Detroit River Region, 1701 to 1815. It's an in-depth study of the early French colonial society in this area and how it survived well beyond the fall of New France. So look for these titles at Juniper Books and other bookstores and also online. We will also be posting this list on our show notes, and we'll be reaching out to talk with as many of these local authors as possible in our future podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts, or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. That's W-R-I-T-E. All right in sincity.com.